You're listening to Policy, Guns and Money, the Aspie podcast, with me, Olivia Nelson. Just over a week ago, the Australian Strategic Policy Institute hosted the Sydney Dialogue, a global summit on critical emerging cyber and space technologies. Senior government, industry and civil society leaders from across the globe joined us in Sydney for discussions on policy solutions to the biggest challenges we are facing. On the event sidelines, we spoke to a number of special guests on topics including Ukraine, international security, critical tech, cyber and defence capabilities, all with a common focus on closer international collaboration. We will release these conversations in the coming weeks in a special podcast series, the Sydney Dialogue Summit Sessions. In the first episode, Aspie's Bart Hogerveen speaks to David Coe, Singapore's Commissioner of Cybersecurity and the founding Chief Executive of the Cybersecurity Agency of Singapore. They discuss the formation of the Digital and Intelligence Service in the Singapore Armed Forces, as well as state behaviours in cyberspace and what it means to be a responsible cyber power. Mr. Ko, thank you so much for joining us on the, on the podcast. You've joined ASPI's the Sydney Dialogue over the past two days, uh, accompanying your Minister for Communications and Information, Minister Teo. What, what are your takeaways from, uh, from the dialogue so far? Well, Bart, thank you very much. Uh, I think we're very happy to be here. I think this is the first uh, physical edition of the Sydney Dialogue. So it was good to not just uh, be here and catch the atmosphere, but more importantly, to also touch base with various people uh, in pull-asides and uh, uh, meetings. I think um, that really is the main value of this um, opportunity. Um, and also to see uh, the developments uh, with respect to cybersecurity uh, in Australia herself. Yeah. I can tell that there are significant moves with respect to um, the focus and the energy for cybersecurity in Australia. Yeah, I think we heard a very powerful speech from the Minister for Cybersecurity uh, yesterday. Now, it's it's been almost four years ago uh, since you joined us previously on a stage. uh, I believe it was in September 2019 at the RSA conference uh, in Singapore, right when you were at the start of a uh, a long and and probably very difficult journey as an expert at the UN group of governmental experts on, and now it's the, the terminology of advancing responsible state behavior in cyberspace in the context of international security. And you joined us together with Australia's expert at the time, uh, Mr. Hannah Weaver, and uh, and your colleague from Indonesia, uh, Ivo Kata Verdaninjas. Now, at the time, we kind of committed together saying, well, this is an opportunity for us to kind of represent our nations, the region, ASEAN, and ASEAN and dialogue partners in these international debates. Now, in the last few years, things have changed quite radically, right? Um, the war in Ukraine, the intensifying US-China competition, now, if you look back over the last few years, mm-hmm. um, what kind of differences do you see in the international climate for international collaboration on, on cyber and technology issues? Thanks very much for that question, Bob. First of all, in 2019, when we had that conversation, it was actually Singapore's first time getting onto the GGE. Mm. So notwithstanding the fact that there had been five previous GGEs before that, Singapore, despite the fact that we're highly digital, developed, uh, connected, and the developments in terms of the responsible use of ICT should have been of great interest to us, notwithstanding all of that. We had never been part of any of the UNGGE processes. So we were playing catch-up. And we recognized that if we, uh, Singapore, were playing catch-up, then 
likelihood that many other countries were similarly not fully plugged into that global conversation. Now, many people think that cyber is a wild, wild west, but actually, um, as we know, this is far from the case. There are norms of responsible state behavior, notably the 11 that were passed in the 2015 edition of the GGE. So it does show that notwithstanding the different geopolitical challenges, that uh, groups of experts and the states can reach consensus when the opportunity arises, and that was achieved in 2015. Our GGE also managed to reach a consensus report. But like you said, those times were different. Mm. Um, since then, Russia has invaded Ukraine, and uh, um, Singapore has spoken out against the invasion of Ukraine on a matter of principle because it's a gross violation of the UN Charter and uh, territorial integrity of state. For the record, Singapore also objected when the United States invaded Grenada in 1983. So we hold the matter of principle strongly. It's not about choosing sides. But notwithstanding this, the fact that geopolitical tensions, we have a shooting war in Europe, uh, larger since World War II, does obviously cast its shadow on cyber issues. The room for us to achieve agreement and consensus has narrowed significantly. But even, I would want to add that even uh, though this is the case, the chair of uh, the OEW, Singapore has the opportunity to chair the OEWG now, the yeah. successor process, and our um, ambassador to the United Nations, uh, Ambassador Berhan Gafor, is chairing the process, uh, has been for the last um, two and a half years. Notwithstanding that there is a shooting war, we have been able to come out uh, and adopt a progress report. Um, yeah. It does show that even though there are real fundamental uh, challenges taking place, there is some consensus on some issues with respect to cyber, which we can still uh, reach and which we can progress. And these are actually built on the um, 11 norms of responsible state behavior in 2015. And I, and I, and I think therefore it's important that, that even the, the current processes that are happening keep on kind of reaffirming the previous agreement so that that's kind of remains alive and it remains uh, based on unanimity among the UN member states, I presume. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the point that you've made is key. We don't want to reinvent the wheel. We want to build on what was previously achieved in 2015. Um, some people uh, in the UN system call this the Aki, yeah. the body of knowledge which we have previously agreed on, not just in that group of governmental experts, but which subsequently went to the UN General Assembly and was adopted by the UN General Assembly. So that forms the basis of an agreement, consensus that everyone thinks is useful um, in the arena of cyber. Now, then building on that, which is what we've done in the last three or four years, is to firstly create a better understanding of what those norms of responsible state behavior are, what responsibilities it entails, what provisions it provides, and then to build capacity right. so that countries actually know what responsibilities they have and build the operational, technical, and procedural uh, capabilities so that they can discharge those responsibilities. It's no use having a set of conceptual norms, rules, etc., but then A, are not fully aware of them, and B, not able to follow through on them. So, so in the case of Singapore, what does that mean kind of to be, I mean, really shepherding and, and, and leading 
if not the implementation of the norms, but then I'm kind of uh, observing and kind of embracing them. What, what does it mean for Singapore mm. to be kind of a responsible power in cyberspace? It's an excellent question. So people ask, what does it mean to be a responsible uh, cyber power? I think firstly, take reference from the 11 norms of responsible state behavior from the 2015 report. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't know that it exists, then quickly Google it yep. and be aware that there are these uh, rules of the road, as it were. It's not a wild, wild west. I'd like to flag out two of those norms uh, in particular. One really has to do with the fact that uh, states should not conduct or support ICT activity that intentionally damages critical infrastructure or imp impairs the use and operation. So this is one of the norms from the 11 norms. The second one is that states should respond to appropriate requests for assistance from another state whose critical infrastructure has been subject to malicious ICT acts. So if you look at these two norms, one is, as it were, thou shalt not, yeah. and the other one is thou shalt. So one will not attack other people's critical infrastructure and you will support requests for information when other people uh, um, are facing uh, malicious activity. Both of these require some capacity operationally and technically within your country to know what's going on in your own uh, cyber environment yep. so that if an attack is launched from your environment or your country or an attack is routed through your environment, you are firstly able to detect it and secondly, able to stop it continuing. And um, second, if that there are requests uh, for information, you similarly are able to provide that um, uh, information that's been requested. It requires some technical capability, uh, some operational capability, and of course, the diplomatic uh, capability to engage with your partner nations. So two examples um, to illustrate what it means to be um, responsible cyber power. And I would then extend it as a matter of uh, a broader concept to all the other 11 norms of responsible state behavior. ASEAN, in our ASEAN Ministerial Conference on Cybersecurity, has actually endorsed all the 11 norms of responsible state behavior. And we are in the process of educating and trying to implement these in our respective countries. So that's an example of how we can all take active steps uh, to implement um, the norms of responsible state behavior and make cyber a more secure environment for all of us. I think it's important that you kind of raise uh, kind of the role of ASEAN, not just as a forum, but I think also the ASEAN Secretariat. As a matter of fact, we were just uh, in, uh, in Jakarta a few weeks ago to give a professional development training, uh, including on cybersecurity and, and kind of the, 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 the things that a secretariat can do to support its member states. Um, in meeting their uh, their international obligations. Now, I think one thing that that I found really uh, interesting is that that Singapore uh, last year announced the establishment of its own digital and intelligence service, which, in my understanding, is uh, is is kind of a an operational unit that is able to kind of do not just defensive uh, cyber activities to defend the nation, but also uh, be a bit more forward leaning and maybe preemptive in its in its in in its activities. So, how does that fit into kind of the discussion we just had about? Uh, responsible cyber behavior. So the formation of the Digital and Intelligence Service in the Singapore Armed Forces is actually a historic event. It's the fourth service that has been established. So in addition to the Army, Navy and Air Force, this is the fourth service. It's the first uh, significant change in our armed forces in more than 40 years. Mm. And uh, obviously it's uh, in recognition of the reality that in the 
uh, arena of um, <clears throat> warfare, we are not just restricted to kinetic effects uh, in the air, land and the sea domains, but also increasingly in the digital domain. Um, so um, intelligence, uh, digital security, defense, etc. These have become increasingly an arena for um, contestation as well. So the Singapore Armed Forces uh, felt it necessary to focus um, um, some of its resources to be able to then operate and dominate in this um, arena of um, uh, uh, military operations as well. So the ambit of this comes under the Ministry of Defence mm -hmm. uh, and it uh, is orientated uh, to the defence of the country, uh, ex especially external defence. In the area of cybersecurity, we work very closely mm -hmm. with all the other agencies. CSA, as it were, has the coordinating uh, secretariat role from a national uh, perspective. So we work with um, other agencies, some of which are responsible for domestic uh, security, uh, some like the DIS, which are responsible for external security, as well as um, the operators of the um, 11 sectors, critical information infrastructure as well. And increasingly, we recognize that government herself cannot manage, operate, um, uh, and secure cyberspace uh, by herself has to work with industry, has to work with academia, and of course has to work with international partners. Right. So this is the other big element that uh, it's a multi-stakeholder event. Uh, we have to work with private industry, um, including industry which are not domiciled in Singapore. Right. Many of the big uh, digital companies are uh, multinationals. Yeah. Secondly, we have to work with our international partners in recognition that cyber actually is borderless. Right. If I may ask, so you talked, let's say, about the, uh, the, the, new, the new unit within the armed forces that's looking kind of at the, for the external defense of, of, of the nation from, from cyber threats. Now, as you know, for instance, a country like Australia has acknowledged kind of its own offensive cyber capabilities. In the UK, we see, I think, only yesterday where they explained um, the role and mandate of their national cyber force. Should we see that, that unit in, in that context? I'm not uh, fully aware of the full capabilities of the unit. Uh, so I'm unable to comment on that. Okay. You talked elaboratively on the role of kind of uh, not just critical infrastructure, but also critical information infrastructure, private industry, etc. Now, I, I think over the years, and even though some, most of the, the UN discussions talk about, let's say, how states interact with one another, but obviously industry uh, and not just kind of big industry, but also uh, medium enterprises often face the real harm from, from cyber incidents uh, that coming from, from criminals, from organized criminals or state-supported entities. What are the things that kind of Singapore has done to kind of reach out to, um, to kind of those, those softer sectors of the mm. economy and, and, and even kind of uh, the, the, the universities, those places where innovation, research, development are happening? It's a great question. I'll be honest, when we first established CSA, our first and strongest focus was on essential services. Yeah. The critical information infrastructure, which it rests on, uh, because they are providing essential services to Singapore and to Singaporeans. Um, that was our primary focus. But very quickly, we realized that actually, if we only did this, then there is a large swaths of the economy in the country which don't quite fall under this um, uh, coverage. So we revised our strategy and the first pillar remains as a focus on um, protecting the critical infrastructure. But we established a second pillar, which is a safer cyberspace. Yeah. 
And this is in recognition of all the other elements uh, uh, that don't fall under critical infrastructure, the large local enterprises, the multinationals that sit in, uh, operate from Singapore and support us, um, the small and medium enterprises, and in fact, the men in the street as well. Um, the reality is that uh, the economy, our way of life, the education sector, etc., all of these increasingly sitting on the digital domain. Yeah. And if you don't uh, protect this, uh, you don't ensure a minimum level of um, uh, safety and security on this, then it will have significant impacts on the uh, digital economy, uh, the real economy, and in fact, our, our way of life. So we have done... Um, uh, significant uh, support to this sector in terms of um, uplifting it in general uh, and providing um, easy access to information and toolkits which uh, small and medium enterprises and larger enterprises for that matter can access. So um, we publish uh, public advisories for companies so that they can take precautionary um, action against threats. We also encourage them to strengthen their own cybersecurity posture through facilities that we provide. One of them is the SG CyberSafe program. This includes a certification program for companies. And two elements of this are, number one, the cyber essentials, and the second one, the cyber trust mark. The cyber essentials are the basic things which all companies ought to meet uh, if they have a digital footprint. Right. And then the cyber uh, trust mark is a higher level which um, companies which they think that they are trust is an important factor or they have a significant set of uh, digital assets they need to protect, uh, then they can aspire to, to those as well. So these are internal um, domestic Singapore level marks, yep. uh, cyber essentials and cyber trust marks, but they're all modeled on ISO standards right. um, so that they eventually can be internationally recognized if we're on that uh, direction. All of this is based on the fundamental principle that we think that companies, individuals, need to be responsible for their own cybersecurity. Right. It is not something that government can provide uh, en masse for everybody. Individuals and individual companies need to also take responsibility. There's a base level of national cyber hygiene which we will try to provide. Uh, we will try to provide advisories, etc. But ultimately, individuals um, and individual companies need to recognize that um, cyber is their responsibility. They have to balance between usability, accessibility, cybersecurity, and cost. Right. And they have to make these as their own business decisions. I mean, Singapore obviously kind of is a, is a highly innovative economy, mm. a highly digitized. But at the same time, if we look kind of at the, at the cyber threat landscape, um, and, and we looked at that kind of in our report on state-sponsored economic cyber espionage, is that we see that almost 80% of cyber incidents that are of kind of, of a very serious nature involve um, espionage activities, um, whether that's for political military purposes or for economic purposes. So how does a country like Singapore see that risk? But also, how do you then um, kind of empower mm. companies to look at a threat which is essentially invisible and, and designed not to be discovered? Right. It's a great question. Uh, first of all, we recognize that not all sectors are facing the same level of threat. So it's not a case where everyone needs to achieve the same level of cybersecurity. Right. Some sectors are under greater threat than yeah. others. And consequently, they need to apply themselves and meet a higher standard. So the first thing that we do is we recognize that um, the level of cybersecurity that one 
needs to achieve is firstly a function of the threat that right. you face. And some of the um, examples that you've given would fall into uh, areas where they have to meet, they, they're facing a higher level of threat and consequently need to uh, achieve a higher level of cybersecurity. So the first things that we do is we tell them that you right. are under, um, you are an attractive target and right. you are being actively um, uh, targeted. Uh, some of our intel sources will tell us the same and we reinforce to them so that they recognize that you are being targeted and consequently you need to take action. Right. Um, then the next question is what kinds of action? Yeah. First of all, our own analysis is that the vast majority, perhaps 80% of the attacks that we see are not highly sophisticated. Uh, the reality is that they may be conducted by APTs, but the point of entry very often still very is a very basic phishing attack. There are things which have not been patched, etc. Um, what we would consider as basic cyber hygiene. So the first things that we do is that tell people that you need to just clean up the cyber hygiene and address those issues. Patch your software, make sure things have been updated, etc. And we think that if the majority, uh, vast majority of the cases that we investigate, there have been um, uh, lapses in those areas. Right. So that's one of the, the big things that we have done. If I could add that in addition, we see a significant threat of ransomware. Yeah. So that's also something that is uh, um, affecting our local and I'm sure Australian uh, landscape as well. Internationally, it's a problem. And uh, again, um, we are reaching out to many of the companies to advise them against uh, ransomware. And a lot of them have to do again with cyber hygiene issues. But one of the things we've done domestically is to create a counter ransomware task force domestically within Singapore, because we realize that even for an issue like ransomware, it's a multi-agency effort. Mm. It's law enforcement, uh, CSA, uh, some of the sectors, and the banking sector. Right. Initially, when we started looking at ransomware, I had seen it firstly as a cybersecurity issue. So the standard um, cybersecurity advisories, the um, cyber hygiene issues, etc. where to have backups. We had a policy on whether you can or cannot pay ransom. Um, all of these things, which were under the ambit of the cybersecurity agency and uh, our other stakeholders. But we realized very quickly that what was fueling the ecosystem was the ransom payments themselves. So if you didn't uh, deal with that, then actually the broader ecosystem is funding itself and developing new R&D methods for new vectors of attack and it's incentivizing the bad actors. So we realized that instead of just dealing with the operational and technical aspects of it, the cybersecurity aspects of it, we also needed to deal with the money aspects. And the idea is that if we can squeeze the money, we starve this ecosystem of the oxygen which fuels it. So we are having a series of um, actions which we are working very closely with the Monetary Authority of Singapore with respect to how we can squeeze the money flows. These don't need to be the high-profile hack the hacker, uh, hack the crypto wallet type things. Those capture the, the headlines and uh, perhaps are very sexy. But we realize that ultimately the criminals need to get their crypto money out into fiat. You can move the money through crypto wallets, etc. But ultimately, in order to spend it, 
it needs to come back out into real currency. So the point of entry and the point of exit uh, of the cryptocurrency actually are the points where we have leverage. And if we can take action, which uh, really uh, boil down to know your customer, anti-money laundering type actions, then these would have a significant drag on this ecosystem. So we're working actively with the MAS, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, and with the other central banks uh, on this matter. So it requires a collaboration with a set of stakeholders which we don't normally collaborate with. Um, And uh, we then realize that they have all of these um, uh, measures in place, but they didn't quite see the connection with cybersecurity. Similar, like we didn't see the connection with the banking industry. And now we're trying to move together and hopefully with uh, concerted action on both fronts, then we can reduce the scourge of ransomware. I think this is actually a very nice lead into a final question. As you know, uh, I mean, you talked about the various cybersecurity strategies and the development that Singapore has gone through. Australia is currently uh, reviewing its, uh, its, its national or, or government cybersecurity strategy, which is greatly influenced by, by the two major data breaches that occurred last year uh, for us here with Optus and Medibank. Now, I remember very vividly a few years back when uh, the SingHealth data breach uh, occurred. Now, now, besides that, say, the lessons learned from kind of ransomware and kind of working with monetary authorities and kind of the, the banking sector, are there any other kind of lessons learned uh, from your experience that, that you would reckon uh, our Minister for Home Affairs and Cybersecurity should take on board um, in her new uh, new strategy? Thank you very much for that question. Um, well, I would say that I'm happy to share the lessons that we have learned yeah. from our Sing Health incident. But far be it from me to advise uh, uh, Minister uh, O'Neill on uh, the Australia's uh, cybersecurity strategy. My view is that each country's circumstances, uh, the legislative context, uh, the historical cultural context is quite different. Yeah. Singapore is a tiny country in comparison to Australia, we only have one level of government. I think the level of complexity that we have totally different from the situation that you have to deal with in Australia. So our strategy, our laws are probably not uh, directly applicable uh, or implementable in Australia. So far be it for me to advise the minister how um, she should conduct uh, uh, the review of the Australian cybersecurity strategy. But one of the key lessons I would want to draw from uh, what we learned from the Singh Health incident some time ago was that, number one, it was preventable. Right. I think that's the reality. And the reason uh, it occurred fundamentally boils down to the fact that cybersecurity ultimately is a risk management issue. Mm. It's not about absolute cybersecurity. You're managing security versus usability versus cost. At the point in time, the uh, enterprise had decided on one particular balance point uh, in terms of this uh, um, strategic uh, risk calculus. But the reality is that the healthcare sector is actively targeted because of that personal data that they hold and for other reasons. Um, so taking that on board, I think the, the real uh, lesson learned is that you do need to update your risk profile. Mm-hmm. You do need to recalibrate it and then adopt the correct um, balance point. After the incident, uh, this has been a process where we uh, actively share intelligence with the critical infrastructure sectors so that they are better placed to make these uh, risk profile adjustments. And then they would then be responsible for adopting the appropriate uh, risk calculus 
to make the cybersecurity uh, investments. The second key lesson learned was that of uh, internal communications and um, flow of information. Uh, sadly, uh, in the incident itself, uh, while the incident was detected, it was not uh, appropriately dealt with because the information did not flow to the correct level of decision making. It's a human factor issue, not a technology issue. So it goes back to traditional issues of technology, people, process. In this case, the people and process elements fail, not the technology. Sure. So we should also remember that cyber is not just a tech issue and it's not just investing more and more, but we also have to practice the people and the process elements of it. Great. I think that's a beautiful point to make that in fact, this is all about, about, about human behavior. And, uh, and, and I think that's a real, real good takeaway. I remember, and I, I think I looked at it, the commission inquiry that was, that was established after the single data breach. And I sometimes wonder whether, um, kind of sometimes countries need kind of these major incidents. And the question, the final question is, uh, would Singapore be as advanced today if single health would not have occurred? Does Australia actually need kind of the Optus and Medibank in order to kind of progress cybersecurity debate? That's an interesting uh, uh, comment to make. Well, we'll never know for sure because we don't have the um, control, as it were. Mm -hmm. But I will say what happened in Singapore was that after the Sing Health incident, my minister did uh, uh, advise me privately, never let a good crisis go to waste. And uh, we did push out uh, after the commission of inquiry, um, the lessons learned were implemented and they were meant to be implemented for the healthcare sector. But... Uh, we made it a point to share it with all the other sectors. And I think that um, it was one of the rare occasions when I found that um, all the comments that we made, all the reports that we sent out were eagerly awaited by all the, the other stakeholders. I think uh, suffice it to say that no one else wanted to be the next person uh, in uh, the Committee of Inquiry's uh, headlights. Um, so from that perspective, one could say that it was helpful in terms of uh, allowing us to focus minds, efforts um, and the senior management uh, attention, at least in the Singapore case. And uh, because of that, I think there has been high level attention to cybersecurity in Singapore. Mr. Ko, I think this was a very great conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. My pleasure. That's all we have time for this week on policy, guns and money. We'll be back with another episode soon. Thanks for listening.